Well, thank you, Jacqueline and Tammy, for your part this morning. We needed to hear what you had to say. We are living in, obviously, different times just now. Um, the week before Sim and Joe left, I, <clears throat> because of age, I thought I had an appointment with Sim on a day, and I ended up there, and it wasn't an appointment, but as a result, we both realized it was important, and we managed to get together and have a chat and go over a few things. One thing I said to Sim was that I have thought just recently, how many times have I actually prayed, Father, I would ask that you would keep us from the evil one. It is real. If we haven't experienced it yet, we're about to experience it. Before we get started, I would like to read a couple of verses that came to mind this morning, not particularly on our subject this morning. One from Ephesians 6, which is talking about the whole armor of God. And the whole armor of God that we put on is Jesus Christ. He is the helmet of salvation. He is the breastplate of righteousness. He is the belt of truth, etc. We need to put on Christ because we're living in the evil day. And it goes on from there, put on the whole armor of God <clears throat> that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. Now, this is a picture of a pugilist who has won his fight and his opponent comes up to him afterwards and wants to pick another fight and all he has to do is say, I won the fight. All he has to do is stand. The battle's been won. All we have to do is stand. But I need to remind you of this. It's from Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. He, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Amazing. We should realize that we're up against the principalities and authorities in darkness. But what is encouraging is the one who created all things created them. He's in charge. We have nothing to fear. All we have to do is to stand. And that's what he told Joshua. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I believe if we stand firm, we will see the salvation of the Lord. That is because it's based on Scripture and he will remain faithful. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, 
you know what is going on in the world today, you're not taken by surprise. In fact, this is all part and parcel of the plan in order to redeem mankind back to yourself. And one day, those of us that are believers, our bodies will be redeemed. These mortal bodies will be replaced with immortal bodies. But in the meantime, Father, we are in this battle and we are asking that you would help us to stand. The word of God will go forth that men will be saved. Preserve us from the wiles of the evil one. We may look at those that we immediately can see in flesh and blood, but behind all that are these principalities and authorities, and Satan knows that his game is up. Help us to stand in these evil days, but in the meantime, Father, we ask that you would bless us, that we would be reminded of the things that you have procured for us through the death of Christ, so that we would be able to stand firm and strong in the faith that we will be immovable. We will abound in the work of the Lord and that this will continue until the Lord comes. I ask, Father, that you would put, grant us peace in our minds. If there's anything that is on our minds from this past week, I ask that you would help us put that aside. We would focus on what you have for us this morning that we will go to this place encouraged, being able to be equipped for the battle that's ahead this week. And we can only do that as we are looking at Jesus. Breaths our time together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna give you a brief background. Uh, I may be giving away some secrets, but it was last November in speaking with Sim that it was on his mind that I helped fill in for the, the summertime in order to keep a continuity. So I knew this from last November. Nothing was written in stone. And in fact, nothing was announced until very recently when I had to kind of push Sim to do that. And through that time, it's been difficult to get to meet with Sim. But let me clue you in on something. If, if you've never been in a position where he is, where he's burnt out, where he's stressed out, you have no idea what it's like. You can't make the simplest decisions. I know because I've been there. I would have liked to have someone else make decisions for me because I just couldn't do that and that's the that's the position that sim has been in so i think and i'm assured if it wasn't for prayer going up on sim's behalf i don't think he'd have lasted this long all right i say that to say this knowing since last november that this was on the cards <clears throat> i've been asking the lord to show me what messages would you have for the people in Norwich? Because I haven't got a clue what your needs are. And I'm the type of guy that would like to be able to work ahead. 
have everything down pat. Maybe I'm a perfectionist. But God didn't actually show me what the messages were to be for this summer, and this is only for part of it, until the middle of April. And that's why I asked him if it was possible to have May off where I wasn't uh, speaking. But if he needed me, that I was available. So I've had time to go over this. And what you will find in these messages over the summertime, that they're not exactly standalone messages, and yet in one sense they are. But one will follow upon another. Um, One Sunday I said, I put out the, the question, if anybody has any subjects that haven't been covered, speak to me. And I've had one request, and it was John. That very Sunday, he says, Dave, he says, I'd like to hear some messages on grace. And I laughed. I said, John, two nights ago, God woke me up in the middle of the night, and I had to write down messages on grace. So that's part of it. So what I have now is we're going to begin with three messages on the Holy Spirit. Be a couple of messages on grace. That's as far as I'll go. Sometimes maybe some of us that are older might think, oh, I've covered that territory before. I know all about it. But don't forget, there's younger ones coming along. And I want to make this as understandable as possible so that the young people can get it too. And if it's just review for you, well, maybe you'll be blessed somehow through these messages, and I pray that we all take it to heart. Some things need to be clarified, I think, on the issue or the subject of the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is because I went through it in my younger years, and I may touch on it briefly. There's been some confusion through the years. So we're going to begin today just with the introduction to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd like you to put yourself in the minds of the the disciples. They've grown up under Judaism. That's all that they know. As they would have gone through the Old Testament Torah and reading it, they would have been able to distinguish from the very beginning of time that there was something about the Spirit of God. Right from the very beginning, he hovered over the face of, of the waters, this earth. It was void and empty. There was no life. It was covered in water. It existed. Then God intervenes and he begins to create for this very ball that we're sitting on. The disciples knew that. Then if you fast forward to the times of the tabernacle in the wilderness, When Moses was given instructions on the building of the tabernacle, there were artisans that were skilled in their trades to be able to make the tabernacle. There were those that were skilled in the metals, gold and silver and copper. There were those in tapestry. There was those in wood. But what happened with those individuals where they had a natural talent, the Holy Spirit came into them and gave them supernatural talent in order to build 
the articles for the tabernacle. The disciples would have been aware of that. But there's something else. The Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament times. Yes, he came into those that were artisans, helped them with that. But the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament. And I'm, there's many scriptures I could have taken, but I've just taken this just to give you the, uh, some insight into it. So when Saul became king, Samuel said to Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them, that is the prophets, and be turned into another man. Even in Saul's time, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul to minister to the children of Israel and to lead the children of Israel. But when that happened, he was going to be a changed man. And he did. The reason was he was small in his own eyes. But he became puffed up. And he thought, I've got a position now of authority. And I'm ruling over the people of God. And that's our greatest downfall. Anyone standing here is not over the people of God. I'm not here to dictate, nor should I dictate. But what happened was that Saul became puffed up. And one day the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. So in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit then came upon people. He equipped them for ministry. And in Saul's case, he equipped them to be king of Israel until... He, he became puffed up himself, and the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from Saul. That is why David in Psalm 51 writes, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's why David wrote that psalm. He witnessed it in the life of Saul. There's a hymn, and I can't remember it. I like the music. I like the hymn until suddenly we reach the point in the hymn it says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I go, oh, really? <laughs> Are we still under Old Testament times? No, we're not. So the Holy Spirit came to live in the believer to reach a lost world. So the disciples, when Jesus introduced the subject of the Holy Spirit, would have had their minds going back to the Old Testament times and seeing the possibility that if they failed or they sinned, that the Holy Spirit could be removed from them. So for Jesus to introduce something different must have been a stretch for the disciples. But this is what... Um, Let me see, did I skip? Here we are. I skipped a page. 
Jesus, his number one thing on his mind before he was leaving this earth was that the disciples should have the Holy Spirit. And as I said, it must have been confusing because the Holy Spirit was here. In fact, he said to them, which you would have seen in the first slide, he said that the, that the Holy Spirit is with you now and will be in you. While he was here, the Holy Spirit was with them as he was in Old Testament times because they were still living under the Old Testament times. The Gospels, by the way, are still under the Old Covenant. As you read the Gospels, it's important that you keep that in mind. That's still under the Old Covenant. But Jesus said to them, I pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, some translations use the word advocate in place of helper, which is accurate. What you have in 1 John's epistle, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is like a defense attorney. The translators have translated this helper, which in a sense is true. It's someone that comes alongside to help and aid you. But the Holy Spirit is also an advocate on our behalf. And what Jesus says is that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. With Saul, the Holy Spirit left him. Now, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us that believe forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. This is something foreign to the disciples. In Acts 1... <clears throat> It reads, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power that was necessary for the spread of the gospel was not possible unless a person received the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the automatic response on our part ought to be to witness when I was saved at the age of six, my buddy was 11, and I couldn't wait to share with him what had happened in my life because I knew it was so different. I remember where I was on the street. I was helping him take papers, and I witnessed to him of what had taken place. He was 11, and he didn't get saved until he was 58. But the automatic response when we receive the Holy Spirit is we want to witness and tell people what happened to us. Our lives have been changed. So in Acts 2 it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is something that I wonder if we really, 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 including myself, understand that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens with me before I come on a Sunday is I ask the Holy Spirit, would you please fill me? Not that I don't have the Holy Spirit, but would you please fill me 
Because without the Holy Spirit, there's no power in what is being spoken. Likewise for all of you, if you're going to witness for the Lord, make sure, first of all, that your life is lined up with Jesus Christ. Your mind is filled with Jesus Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can enable you to be successful in the ministry. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a twofold ministry to the Holy Spirit's work. And we find this in John 16. So he was first of all sent to convict the world. And here it is. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need of a savior and about righteousness and about judgment. I want us to look at this closely. The wording of scripture is so important. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Keep that in mind. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. About sin and the true nature of itself. Why? Because they don't believe. The message the Holy Spirit has for the world is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the number one aim of the Holy Spirit. Making it possible for people to hear about Jesus Christ so that they can respond and believe and receive salvation. So he convicts the unbeliever of sin. Sin in general is any violation of God's law, but the particular sin in this verse is that of rejecting the Lord Jesus. And he's convicting the unbeliever that they need to look to Jesus and see that he is the answer for their sin. Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. The whole purpose of the gospel message is to reach people with this so that they can believe. Otherwise, mankind will die in their sins. And he now convicts the world of righteousness, which is an uprightness of heart, a right standing with God. He says, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. He convicts the world that Jesus is righteous. Jesus was condemned by the court. The Holy Spirit was sent to convince the world that he was innocent. And God showed that he was righteous by raising him from the dead. About righteousness, because I go to the Father. God was righteous in raising Jesus. God is righteous in giving you righteousness when you believe. All of that was made possible because of the work of Jesus on Calvary. And this is what the Holy Spirit is presently doing around us in the world and of judgment because the ruler, the evil genius, the prince of this world, Satan, which is what we've been kind of talking about this morning, is judged and condemned and sentenced already, and sentence has already been passed on him. The victory has been won. And the world needs to know Satan has been defeated. And he knows that he's been defeated when, he, when they look at our lives. Do they know by looking at your life, my life, that Satan has been defeated? Am I down under the circumstances and the things that are going on in the world, or am I living in victory? If I'm living in victory, 
The world has to see that Satan has been judged. He convicts the world that Satan has been judged. The Spirit, through the gospel, convicts the unbeliever that the cross was the scene of Satan's judgment. And Hebrews 2 tells us, Jesus, through his death, destroyed or rendered powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject their lifelong to slavery. We've gone through a period of time when some of us were very cognizant of the fact from the very beginning of what transpired two or three years ago, and I know I was, it was bringing about fear. And my mind went immediately to this verse. When Paul wrote to Timothy, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you're not in the scriptures, if you don't know the scriptures, the Holy Spirit's job is to help you remember the scriptures, but if you've never read them, how's he going to help you remember what you didn't read? But when you do, you have a defense. You have armor on to face what's going on in the world today. We need that. We as a body of believers need to stand firm in our understanding of Jesus and where we stand in the world. That's one facet of the Holy Spirit's work. He's convicting the world, and he uses us to do that. Now, the second part of it is, and this is what I have communicated with someone a little bit younger than I am. He's a pastor now in California. And I try to go over some of this stuff with him, and he's got degrees behind his name as long as your arm in Greek and Hebrew and you name it. He's got all these degrees, and I can't get through to him. So... I basically have given up (laughs) trying to help. But there's a distinction here. The Holy Spirit is sent into the world to convict. There's a difference now for the Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life. Jesus goes on to say, I have many more things to say to you. Not to the world. He's talking to his disciples to say to you. But you cannot bear to hear them now. Why is that? reason for that is they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. There were things that they could not understand until they received the Holy Spirit. And I have an example of that. My buddy, again, that was saved when he was 58. He's now with the Lord as of last year. When I spoke to him about his salvation experience, and it was very unusual, God works in various ways. He was listening to a radio program, went out one day and he says, God, I don't know what to believe. I don't know if Christianity is real or not. I don't know anything. You show me. And he went out for a drive, turned on a radio, and it came upon a program out of Kitchener. And he heard a pastor deliver a message and he knew immediately that's what he needed. And he says, I went home. And I thought, well, I'll start in John's gospel. It wasn't that he didn't know about the Bible. But through his lifetime, he hadn't read the Bible. And he turned to John's gospel and he began to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said, I don't understand a thing. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense to me. Here's what he'd say. He says, Holy Spirit, 
I don't understand what I'm reading. Would you help me? He says, immediately I went back to it and I started to read it and I understood it. Having the Holy Spirit is practical. If you don't understand what you're reading, ask him. Don't go to books. First thing to do is to communicate with the Holy Spirit. Ask him to reveal to you what it is that it's saying. If you go to books, you're going to get confused. Because one person says this and the next person says that. That's okay after you've done your own study, go and check out whatever. But go to the scriptures yourself. Go to the Holy Spirit yourself. That's why he's been given to you. And he will reveal what he's saying. So Jesus goes on, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. My goodness, if we don't need that today. We're living in days where, I mean, I started to go back 10 years ago on the internet. I'm not interested in finance, but I thought I better get some knowledge about it. I didn't know what to do. I'm still not into it. Sorry, John. I might might come to you for some advice. And I began to then go through the internet and find sites that I would follow. And if they said something and it didn't happen, I dropped it. And I ended up going from probably 20 sites down to five because the ones I followed were the ones that were telling truth because it was happening. But now the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit in us helps us to be able to distinguish what is truth and what is error. Without that, we're lost. We're confused. And God's not the author of confusion. So the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. He will not speak on his own initiative. This is a challenge. Especially for someone that stands up here. And maybe you have it in the area of ministry that you're in. But if the Holy Spirit only speaks Whatever he hears, he will speak whatever he hears from the Father regarding the Son. Do we have a right to speak without hearing? Even Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from what the Father tells me to do. He was in tune with the Father. The Father told him, the Father showed him. Jesus acted upon what the Father told him. We ourselves now need to do the same The Holy Spirit has been given to us in order that we may hear directly from heaven. What he hears, he relays to us. He will disclose to you what is to come in the future. This is a problem these days. If what is happening now has taken you by surprise... I'm going to be very blunt and say it's because you haven't followed prophecy. That's at least a third of the Bible. You should have been forewarned of what's happening. As I've said before, I began off and on from the time I was a teenager. I'm not taken by surprise. I know what to expect. I'm watching. Many things I don't know. But many things, even within the last three years, the Holy Spirit has begun to show me. 
The Holy Spirit will glorify and honor Christ because he, the Holy Spirit, will take from what is mine and will disclose it to you. If you're hearing anything at all that is not honoring to Christ, it's not of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will glorify and honor me. That's proof of the fact that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. If he's pointing you in the direction of Christ and showing you Christ, he's doing that on purpose because your direction for life is coming from Jesus Christ. All things that the Father has are mine. Because of this, I said that he will take from what is mine and will reveal it to you. I, have, I am in contact with a younger sister of mine and this would go back at least two years ago. This is after my wife passed. And as I was studying, I began to see things that I had never noticed before in all my years. And I'm not 20 anymore. And the Holy Spirit began to show me things. And I would say to her, Nancy, I don't understand this. Listen to this. Is this right what I'm hearing? I said, I'm sure this is what the Holy Spirit has been showing me. And she would verify. Yes. I said, well, why? And this was going on month after month after month. And I'm thinking, why is the Holy Spirit showing me these things? I'm sitting by myself in an apartment. I had no idea what was coming up here. So maybe I trust that I can pass on a few things that I've learned. This is not coming from some ivory tower. I've had to work through these things myself. But here's one thing I want to be sure that you get this morning. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, not the believer. I don't know how much to go into this. But growing up, I was given... at, at the without going into words. I was misguided, let's say. And that came through my grandfather. He'd been saved when he was young. But he passed on to me things that as I studied on my own later, I found out were not true. I have had to make adjustments in my thinking throughout my lifetime. And if you think you've got it all together, you don't. I thought I had it all together, especially when I was in my 20s. Those of us that are my age can think back that far, right, for you? <laughs> and we had it all together, right? We got all the answers. Now I got more questions than answers. Here's, here's what happens is, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but what about us? And John writes, he says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you need to be told that you've sinned as a believer? I think that's pretty far-fetched to think that you need somebody to tell you. You know. We all know. You need to take it to the Lord. He's your advocate. In fact, he knew that you were going to do it before you even did it. He prayed for Peter before Peter ever failed. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. That's how much God loves us. He warns us even ahead of time. The Holy Spirit directs our hearts to, 
to Jesus. Don't do that, Dave. Think about Jesus. What did he suffer? Wow. Wow. And I was about to do something that wasn't honoring to him. And he directs my heart to Jesus. He says, before you think of that, doing that, I want to show you Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit's work, is to show us Jesus. Our problem is, as we have in Galatians 5, is that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And I spoke of this once, but it bears repeating. When we were born again, when we were born of God, when we were born of the Spirit, all meaning the same thing, what happened was that there was a change in us. Inside, everything changed. I have a different mind. I have different desires. I have a different life. But I've been left in this body that is prone to sin because we're tempted through our five senses, whatever we see, hear, taste, touch, smell. We're tempted to. But the Holy Spirit's work is not to convict me of sin. His Holy Spirit's work is to cause me to focus on Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind, and that will be a mainstay for you. So the Holy Spirit himself knows beforehand when we are tempted to sin and immediately goes to work to prevent us from making the wrong choice by pointing us to Jesus Christ. And I've asked this question before. Can you sin and be in love with Jesus at the same time? And it's impossible. Your mind is occupied with Christ and you decide you want to sin. Try it. That's all I say, try it unless you're not listening to the Holy Spirit and the flesh is dominating your life. If your answer is no and you choose to follow your fleshly desires, then you have quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. This will interrupt your communion with the Lord, which will not be restored until you repent. Your life won't be the same if you are determined to go down the path of sinning. The Holy Spirit is doing his best in your life and working in you to point you to Jesus to prevent you from sinning. And this might be a surprise to some of you. Who actually lives in you? Well, you know, for one, that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. And Paul writes, he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit dwells in you? That makes a difference as to how we live life. But here's what Jesus said in John 17 when he's praying to his father. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, and that the world may believe that you sent me. So here we have the Son and the Father are in each other. All right? And then he goes on to say, I in them and you in me. It's not only the Holy Spirit that's living within us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What else do we need for living life? Can you think of anything greater than that? Is it possible that you need something else? 
God has equipped you with everything necessary to live a victorious life. In a world of evil, in the midst of evil, this is nothing new. This has been true from the time Jesus was here and before. But we're living in these times and God has equipped us for these times because he's living within us. Last week's message. Now the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's living within you. (laughs) What a treasure. But that treasure is in jars of clay. We're prone to failure. Sometimes we think that we failed ourselves. But no, inside of us we have a wonderful treasure to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are living in you, therefore, and this is something I wonder how often we realize and take account of. Therefore, wherever we go, they go with us. This was impressed upon me as a young child. Don't forget, Dave, wherever you go, you're taking the Lord with you. What a deterrent. What a preservation for the believer if we really realize that where we go and what we do, that the Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus are going with us. Not only that, don't forget, but he also knows the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. We can say whatever we want to say. We can lie, we can do whatever, but don't forget, I must remind you, God knows. And I trust that knowing this will change your life. So never forget, if you don't remember anything else from this message, never forget the Holy Spirit is your advocate and he's on your side. He's not against you. And he's doing everything possible to give you the ability to live an abundant life that God has given you. And as you receive the Holy Spirit, this is the portion of the believer and we can live in victory.